If you don't know me, my name's Peter. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. God's been up to some good stuff, hasn't he, uh, amongst us. I expect the same to happen today, not the same things. And God doesn't do the same things twice most of the time, as far as I can tell. He does things differently. Uh, my wife and I are about halfway through a process of teaching our sons how to drive. Um, we've, uh, we've got four sons. Oldest two have got their licence. Now our second eldest has got his licence recent licensed recently he did pretty well but uh, any parent that's actually gone through the process of teaching their children how to drive uh, knows that it can be interesting to say the least all right and I we could just have a show of hands as to who just got struck out in the process as a as a as an advisor does anyone know what I'm talking about because usually who, who actually was the parent where either your child said or you said I'm not doing it anymore <laughs> see it happens it happens all over the place. It's hard to do, right? One of the, uh, one of the classic debates um, when, when you're teaching your children how to drive actually uh, surrounds the speed that they're going. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Um, p- parents are sitting on the passenger side. They look across uh, and they go, oh, my word, they're doing 85 in the 60 zone. <laughs> um, and anyone who has been taught by their parents knows the answer that you need to give at that point in time. Are there any younger people who know the answer to that? You're looking at it on an angle, right? Yeah, there it is. And it's, it's scientific. It's parallax error, right? Um, look from the side and it looks like the speedo is actually much higher than what it actually is. Uh, but I would just say, if you're someone who you haven't arrived at the point where you're teaching your kids how to drive... That one gets overused a fair bit by the, uh, the learning driver as well, right? It's like, no, it's parallax error. I, it's, it's not 120 in a 60. It's actually, it's actually 60. It's like, yeah, right. The perspective that you have, the angle that you look at, uh, a speedo makes a difference in terms of what it actually looks like. And the perspective and the place that you look at Jesus from makes a huge amount of difference as well. Uh, we've been working through John 10 We've been doing really well, some really precious things that uh, Jesus says in John 10, and uh, we're just going to keep trucking today. So uh, if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love for you to open them up to John chapter 10. I'm going to read the section for today. John 10, we'll start at verse 22. John 10, 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple, co- temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. Now, what's interesting to note at this point in time is John has actually recorded a bunch of miracles and things that Jesus has done that reveal who he is. Uh, this is what he's talking about. Uh, the last one was actually in John 9 where uh, Jesus healed the blind man. Um, so verse 26, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. Ouch. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. They'd tried to do that previously. 
But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Interesting, isn't it? John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, the beginning of his ministry. And Jesus goes back, goes back over there. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. The whole point of this discourse here um, of, of Jesus is, is the question about how can you be sure that Jesus is the Messiah? And at the end of the day, it depends on where you're looking from. Because you can only see that Jesus is the real deal from the inside. That's what Jesus is saying here. And today we're going to look at being in, staying in, <laughs> and bringing others in. So let's, uh, let's look into it. Let's look at verse 24 to 27, if you've still got it there. Uh, you've got this, uh, this challenge by the Jews. Prove to us that you're the Messiah, the hero that's come to rescue the Jews. And Jesus had been on display doing things the Messiah would do. But notice something about this is that the Jews don't see this. They don't recognize this. And the reason Jesus gives for them not recognizing it is because they're not in. That's what he says. You're not in and that's why you don't recognize it. The place that they're looking from, the vantage point that they have with regard to Jesus is not suitable for seeing Jesus in the fullness of who he actually is. Or to put it the way that Jesus puts it, and this is pretty hard hitting. When it comes to people, there are only two categories. Those who are in and those who aren't in. There's only two categories. Put simply, you're either one of Jesus' sheep or you're not one of his sheep. That's it. And if you're not one of his sheep, it's not possible to see Jesus clearly. Here's a summary it's not possible to see Jesus for who he is unless you are a sheep. Now, some of you go, oh, what if the Jews and people in general, maybe, maybe they're not a sheep then, but at some point in time, they're actually going to become a sheep. Is that, is that what Jesus is talking about? That they don't kind of recognize his voice now, but they will later? And that may well be the case. It certainly was the case for me. I became a Christian when I was 16. And I was in the church the whole of my life until I was 16 and never heard the call of Jesus. But when I was 16, he called me and it became different. Um, and I think this kind of thing is reflective of our lived experience. But I don't think this is actually what Jesus is talking about here. I want to go back to the section that we looked at um, just last week because there's this verse in there um, 
that kind of gives you a hint about what Jesus is talking about. It's John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. What Jesus is talking about is uh, there's, there's, the pen is, is kind of the people that he's looking after and the sheep that are in there that belong to him are Jews. And he's saying there's people outside of the Jews that are sheep and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, <laughs> the first third of this message is going to mess with your head a bit. All right? So just as a full disclosure, I probably should have told you before I started. Um, you know what's interesting about what Jesus says here is he calls them sheep before they're actually in his flock. Does that... Can you see that? It's like, it's not, you know, it, it's not like Jesus is saying there's non-sheep outside of the pen. We need to make them sheep and then bring them into the flock. He's saying, no, there's actually sheep that are outside that belong to me that we need to bring in. There's sheep that need to be gathered. And so we could actually say this, that in some way the sheep are sheep before they're brought into the pen. You see that? That's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Now, some of you can kind of see where I'm going with this. And this is, honestly, this is the point where we all just seem to put our big boy and big girl pants on. All right? Um, you know, when you were younger, everything was just like black and white. Uh, things were kind of more yes and no, on or off, right or wrong. Uh, but as you grew up, you actually worked out that there's a whole lot more grey in the world than, uh, than what you realise when you're a kid. And, and just as a side note, you know, the grey areas of life are the wisdom areas, you know, where you just need wisdom to be able to handle things that are in the grey. Um, you know, some of us as adults even, it's like we just want to go back to a world that's black and white. And it's like, it's, that's not the world that you live in. You know, and sometimes you... I bump into people and it's like you're pushing. You just want to push things to be concrete and black and white all the time and they're just not black and white all the time. Um, the other thing that you probably you, uh, realised as you grew up is there's truths in Scripture that are hard to put together and, and you just have to believe both of them at once or three of them at once. I mean, the Trinity's one of those, Right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, they're all God. There's not three gods. It's like, okay, well, there's a whole bunch of truths that are true that we need to hold together, even though we don't quite work out how that actually works. And the scripture is often like this. Um, and some of you go, what? Why? why are you talking about this now? Uh, because one of the obvious questions is how can you be a sheep before you become a sheep, <laughs> right? That's kind of the question here. Like, how do, you, how do you be a sheep before you become a sheep? And I want to answer that one for you, is um, God's the one that makes you one of his sheep before you become a sheep in your lived experience, all right? Um, or to put it another way, you're one of his sheep in some way before he brings you in. Now, here's where we can all run off the rails a little bit, <laughs> uh, biblically, all right? Because straight away, as soon as you say something like that, uh, one of the things that people can start thinking is like, oh, all right, well, what does that mean about human responsibility? If God's doing 
something like that. It doesn't really matter what we do, that God now is some kind of puppet master and we don't have a choice. But I'll just say to you, that's just not true. Uh, Just because God's a decisive actor doesn't make your acting irrelevant. It is not what scripture teaches. You you can see that in the passage in John 10, that uh, the sheep, Jesus' sheep listen to him and follow him and those who aren't his sheep don't listen and they don't follow him. Like actions are actually important and so there's a tendency sometimes inside of us it's like I'm just going to run to that extreme a bit and then all of a sudden we end up believing all these other things that aren't biblical either and we don't hold things in tension um and and like another thing that people can kind of get to is they they say or they think something like um if that's true then it must mean that there's all these people that are trying to get in who can't They, they kind of want to be Jesus's sheep but they can't get in and I kind of go well would you just look at John chapter 10 like the Jews don't look like they want to get in right they don't they don't look like they want to get in at all and and i just i just don't think that's the case it's god's not a god that blocks people i don't think it's true either um and so that's kind of another place where you can end up in a in a place that's not um not biblical and doesn't hold truths in tension and then you know you can (laughs) and i'm I'm sure there's some of you just want to have a really deep conversation with me about some of this stuff later on and i'm i'm happy to do that i am going out for lunch right so you just need to know there's a limit on it Uh, another place you can end that um, is not biblical in my view is it means you can end up in a place you go okay well that means the gospel is not an offer for everyone um and and i just want to let you know we're not going there either um the gospel is on offer for everyone I, i think the scripture in the new testament that god wants all people to be saved is as true as this one and so we just, we just need to hold truths in tension. Now, if you're the kind of person that loves to hammer out and drill down and just try and work out all the connecting points between all these things, go and do a search for it on uh, Desiring God or on the Gospel Coalition. There's a ton of articles and I've read a lot of them uh, and I find it helpful to a point. Uh, but I'll just tell you something. And, and I'm, if you're the person who's going like do we have to do this do we have to go from church and read all these articles i'd say no you don't because you know what you can do you can just trust that god's good and that he's got things worked out and just believe what he says in the bible <laughs> all right we could we could just do that because i actually find that reading these details uh is really helpful but you still end up in places where you just go you either have to trust god and his character or you don't and it's always good to trust his character what I want to do, though, is I want to help you with a metaphor that I think is actually going to be more helpful uh, in explaining the nature of what's going on here than uh, some of the things I've just said, okay? Um, and, and I would ask you, can anyone think of a metaphor, a picture? And it's, it's probably not even quite a picture. It's probably actually a reality. It's, it's something, it's, it's, it's a category that we use to talk about God's family. I just said it in the church. I was setting up the question and then I gave you the answer. It's a good teacher, right? It's family, right? It's family. We, we talk about this all the time. Um, if you've been here long enough, we, uh, you would know that uh, humanity started in God's family. We were in by default, but then at the fall, we said we wanted out. We had the freedom to choose that. But God wasn't happy with that, so he 
came for his family and he had a plan to get us back in. And there's a word in the New Testament that describes this getting back in. Does anyone know what that word is? How do you get back in God's family when you're out of it? You get adopted, all right? You get adopted um, all over the place in the New Testament. Now, what's adoption? Well, you become a child of the Father again. And let me ask you this question. When it comes to adoption, who is the decisive actor in an, in an adoption? The parents. The parents are the decisive actor. They, the adopting parents. You know, when it comes to adoption, adopted children don't pick their parents. Now, if they're old enough, they will actually have a say in it and it'll be important that they want to go along with it. But by and large, that's not how it works. If you have an adoption, it's because some parents, or in this case, God the Father has come along and said, I'd like you to be in my family. And this is exactly what we see in Scripture. And this is the nature of what's actually going on here. And you can see it in spades in Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 5. The Father chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. God is the one who brings us in. Now, when does this process actually start? Well, the process actually starts before the foundation of the world, before you are actually born. And and so the question I could put to you is like, how do you get in? And the answer, God brings you in. That's what he does. He adopts you in. And, and the reason why the Jews can't see Jesus as the Messiah is because they're not in. Now, it's, it's theoretically possible that some of them are going to end up in, in terms of their experience, their lived experience, but they're not there right now, and so they can't actually see him. Now, here's another question. The first question was... Um, This point is being in, so how do you get in? The second one is, how do you know you're in? All right? And Jesus gives you an answer to that in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Well, how do you know you're in? You listen to him. You value what he says. Um, Perhaps you can remember a time when you weren't a Christian and you didn't pay attention to what he said. I had 16 years of it. But then your heart changed and all of a sudden you're listening now and it just sounds different. It's, it's the same, but it actually just sounds different. And this is what it was like for me. And, you know, I am totally into evidences for the truthfulness of the Bible, right? But the most powerful evidence for the truthfulness of the Scriptures is not evidences, it's the presence of God speaking through His Word. That's what it is. Jesus speaks to you through it. That's the most powerful. When you hear scripture, you hear God. His presence is in his words. There's this beautiful statement in uh, 1 Samuel about Samuel, uh, which I'm just going to read to you because this is, this is how it works. And this is massive, right? And if you're into theology, this is the, this is the, the theological um, understanding that scripture is self-authenticating. You can get other things around it to support it, but at the end of the day, the power and the authority of the scriptures 
is not ultimately those evidences. It's actually that God speaks through it himself and he speaks through it to you. Listen to this from 1 Samuel 3.21. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. You see that? Like his presence came through his word. But it isn't just Samuel. This is us too. God is present in his words and we hear him. This is how you know that you're actually a sheep. <laughs> and it's also the reason why even today, if, if you hear God speaking to you through scripture, it's a sign probably that you're a sheep and that you need to come into the pen and you need to give your life to God because God's presence is actually speaking to you through his words. Second thing Jesus says there is um, you've got relationship with him. <laughs> I know them. That's what that statement is. We talked about this last week. Knowing when, when uh, Jesus says he knows his sheep, it means he's in relationship with them. And the last one, it's very straightforward. Um, you follow him. You do what he says. You want to follow after him. And I'm not saying that you do that perfectly. It doesn't mean you don't sin. But there's this pattern of you following him and you're active in it. He says stuff and you go, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, see that? You listen. You're in relationship with him. You're following him. And here's where I want to wrap this point up. This is what I'm saying. And I think this is true everywhere. The only way to know a person truly is to be in relationship with them. You know, when you stand on the outside of someone looking in, you're only going to be able to know about them. The Jews knew about Jesus, and it's, it's to this that Jesus appeals, but they didn't know him personally. They didn't know him relationally, and so they couldn't know him truly. And I want to say to you, because there's some parts in this first point where you just go, oh, that was a bit clunky, you know? I feel like you kind of jabbed me in the nose a couple of times with a few theological things, but I want you to hear this. This is how it is with everyone. Have you ever had that sense yourself where you're not connected to someone in the room, perhaps even in the church, and you form an opinion about that person, right? And you've never really had much of a conversation with them. And then, maybe it's not in the church, maybe it's somewhere else, then you start to talk to them and you become friends with them. And on the inside, and sometimes you even say it out your mouth, you go, I had you completely wrong. You are a completely different person to what I thought. What's the difference? The difference is that you've gone from being an external observer who knows something about them to being in relationship with them and being on the inside. It works like this with everyone and it works like this with Jesus. This is just how it works with persons. There are many people in the church who know about God that think that they know God. And those two things don't always go together. They think that they're a Christian because they've been in the church. They know stuff about God and they've probably been able to keep their act together a little bit. And if you're a child of Christian parents here today, I'm talking to you too. All right? The old statement is that God doesn't have any grandchildren and it's true 
You know, in a church this size, and this, this is a bit grievous to admit it, but uh, that's what we do here at Restoration Church. If uh, today's your first Sunday, welcome. Um, we'll just be honest with you. You know, in a church this size, uh, statistically, is it possible that there's going to be people sitting here who aren't in, who think they're in? I think so. Are there people here who know about God and don't actually know God in a personal way? I think so. You know, and you go, oh, who are they, Pete? And it's like, I don't know. Don't ask me. It's not my job to know that. But I'll tell you something. I've talked with them. I've talked with them. And, and let me tell you one of the stories that I hear. They tell stories... That, that this is these people. They tell stories of being in the church for ages and the time when Jesus started to call them and that it was different to anything that they've ever known and that they didn't really have a choice but to follow him. That's, that's kind of the nature of the story. And, and they became a Christian. It's amazing. I, I've got a category for people in the church who need to get saved. Maybe that's you today. Maybe Jesus is talking to you right now. Is it you? You know, there's a lot of chatter online at the moment about revivals going on around the place, right? And I don't really want to add too much to it, except to say this. Revival needs to happen in the church before it happens outside the church. Amen? With us. It needs to start with us before we'll see it outside of us. And it may be that there's some people that are going to become Christians today who thought they were Christians. And I'll tell you something, if you thought you were a Christian and you become a Christian, that would be the best day of your life. All right? How do I know? Not just because of what it is. Because I've talked to people who have had that happen to them. It changes their life. Today would be a good day, right? <laughs> Being in, staying in, staying in. Have a look at verse 28 to 29 um, in your Bibles there. We'll start with 28. <laughs> I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now, I talked about this one at the end of my message about two weeks ago. And this is where it starts to get a bit exciting and this is where I get a bit fired up. Right? So please forgive me for uh, being passionate today. Um, I want you to hear me on this. Life is the trajectory that you're on if you belong to Jesus. You hear me? Life. That is the tra trajectory that you're on. And, and not... Have a look here, and not just quality of life, but length of life, right? So you're going to get the best quality of life, and it's never going to end. That's what eternal life is. It's about quality and quantity. How could it be better, right? This is better than a packet of Tim Tams that never runs out, right? Just. No, I'm kidding. It's not just. It's way better. This is perfect. This is the best thing ever. This is the... Trajectory, look at the trajectory of human history. Life in Eden, death at the fall when humanity turned from God, Jesus dies on the cross, and then eternal life. Do you see, you see where it's going? It's like we're, we're kind of like cellar dwellers, 
in, in death and Jesus is taking it toward life. And so I just want to say to you today, I don't know what your story is or what happened to you this week or what happened this morning or what fight you had with your kids in the car on the way into, the, into church today, but don't let death grind you down. Don't let it grind you down. Because if you're a Christian, you've already started on this trajectory of life, right? And death hasn't won the day. And here's the good news for you. It will not win the day. Life will win. Light, do you hear me? It's like three people think that's good. This is like the best news ever. Like you are on a track. It's like this is where we, we are going to more and more life. It's unstoppable and it's only going to get more and more pervasive as you grow closer to Jesus. Death won't keep you down. Life is going to win. It's going to win. Now, we at Restoration Church like to have a very honest approach to Scripture and the human condition. If you've been here long enough, you know that we don't shy away from the, the harder, darker things. But we always have to remember this trajectory. Always. And you need to remember it. You need to remember it. That's where we're going. This is unfolding as we speak. Even right now, the trajectory that you're on is life. That's what it is. Sure, bad things are going to happen. But life is going to win. Now, if you had the best thing ever and it was planned to last forever, what would be your concern? It's obvious, right? You might lose it. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? It's like, wouldn't that be your concern? You know, in our world, when th- something is really, really precious, we guard it. I mean, how many Oceans movies have there been, right? And the Oceans movies are all about kind of breaking into somewhere to get something really valuable. And you've got, you've got all these sensors and locks and everything to protect the valuable thing. And think about your house. What have you got? You've got a lock on your front door. It might have security screens. You say to people, your kids, when they walk out and leave the house unlocked, it's like, well, you're born in a tent. You say things like that because you're supposed to lock stuff, right? Because there's valuable things in there and you don't want people getting into it. And, and I want to say to you that God, you need to know that God has seen to it that you don't lose the eternal life that he's given you. Isn't that good news? This is, this is it. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, on the surface of it, what it looks like is that eternal life is a thing, like a kilo of plain flour, right? You're just standing there. Jesus comes along. He hands you a kilo of plain flour and he goes, there you go. Look after it. That's your eternal life, all right? Um, and, and you could kind of picture it as though I'm standing there and I'm holding eternal life. And, but I would say to you this, that is not a biblical understanding of eternal life. And it's actually not what John means. And so what I want to do is just duck into one of John's other books in the New Testament to show you what John actually means by it. This is 1 John 5 verse 11 to 12. And this is the testimony 
um, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now, did you see that? Eternal life is not a commodity. It exists in a person. It's not like Jesus just slices a part of himself off and hands it to you, right? Um, If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. It's that simple. Um, Eternal life comes to you from the person who has it in a real-time, ongoing sense. Now, there are threats. And Jesus has told us in John chapter 10 about a bunch of threats that can come our way. Remember that sheep are a prey species, not a predator species. There's wolves and thieves and robbers. And I want you to notice um, just a a subtle twist on um, this scripture. Jesus... Jesus' concern is not that you might lose the commodity that is eternal life. His concern is that you might be lost, which in some ways is kind of the same thing, but it's, 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 it's like you, you would actually be lost, that you would, that you would actually perish. You see the difference? Well, what is... Jesus do about this? Well, (laughs) Jesus secures our eternal life by keeping us near. That's what he does. See, this is the difference, right? In our world, if you've got a commodity, you get commodities around it and you get people around it, you get the feds and you get security guards and you put assets around it to protect the asset. But if eternal life is embodied in a person, if it's in the person of Christ, there's a very personal way that you get protected. You see that? It's not with stuff. It's not with guns. It's not with metal detectors and safes. It's, It's with a person. You see the language here that Jesus uses? No one will snatch them out of where? What was it? No one will snatch them out of my hand. All right. Now, that's close, isn't it? Now, I I cannot think of a better part of a person's body to hold on to something than someone's hand. All right? I've seen people pick up bouncy balls with their toes, all right, and kind of throw them. I've, I've seen all sorts of things, but I have never seen... Any part of the human body that holds something better than a hand. All right, some of you go, well, what about your teeth? It's like, well, you have to breathe and eat, right? So that's not going to work very well. If you're in someone's hand, you're, you're close and you're secure. Isn't that what sheep need? <laughs> sheep can do some crazy things. My, um, all of my boys are around about 19 to 20 months apart. And um, when they were young, 
Um, I used to describe them actually as the, uh, you know, the Tassie Devil in the Warner Brothers cartoon. It was just like this ball of energy and you just had to direct it, otherwise it would go through the wall, literally. Uh, I could RPL like a plastering apprenticeship, I reckon, in, uh, in my house. Um, but one of the things when the kids are really young is uh, there was this need to get them across busy roads um, and double-laned roads. I can remember one of these. I always picture it. Um, one of these is up on the Sunshine Coast, you know, it's 60 k's an hour and it's two lanes on one side and two lanes on the other side, um, you know, and, and pretty much uh, Ange and I would get to the edge of the roads that we had to cross over and um, especially in this case, it wasn't like a traffic, traffic lights or anything. We just had to get across and it was a pretty busy road and... and um, you know, we kind of look at our kids and it's like, okay, four kids, four hands, we can do this, all right? So it's like you take one hand each and you start walking across the road with, uh, with two boys and Ange had two boys. And I'll tell you something that happened and it happened with regularity is when, when we got to the most dangerous point, what would actually happen for us is that our kids' hands would start to go limp, Right? So you'd be getting near the middle of the road and all of a sudden I'm holding on to a dead fish, right? And so, my goodness, it's like and underneath you just go, what on, what on earth are you doing? You know, like this, this is the worst place for you to stop holding on to my hand. Um, and, and you could, I guess, uh, reprimand them in the middle of the busy road and say, what are you doing? All right, but we didn't do that because it doesn't really help that much in the middle of a, middle of a busy road. You know what we did? We squeezed tighter. That's what we did. We held on tighter. We strengthened our grip. And uh, I want to say to you that, um, that God's like that with you. He's, he's the one that holds you fast. Do you ever worry about whether you're going to make it? you ever fearful that you won't be able to turn up with what God wants? that some temptation is going to get you in the end maybe you've got some kind of sin pattern that you just haven't been able to budge and it's like death's going to win i can't hold on death is going to win or even that god's one day he's just going to have had enough of you i'm just going i'm done i'm done with you and that you would be out or maybe just even right now um you're just flagging at the start of the year and you just kind of go, you know, I, I feel like I'm just going to run out of energy to hold on. Never fear, my friend. Never fear. Never, ever fear. He will hold you fast. And, and the cool thing is that Jesus kind of... Um, he just takes it up a notch, you know, and, and as if that's not enough assurance for you. <laughs> um, he goes on and just adds another one on top of the pile. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. You know, even, even if there were, and there's not, but even if there were some possibility that you could get, some enemy could get you out of Jesus' hand, you're not getting out of the Father's hand. He's the strongest one out of anyone. <laughs> and that's how it works. The sovereign one is the strongest one. You're safe. 
It's beautiful, eh? Next part of this uh, section in John chapter 10 um, is just some more dialogue uh, where Jesus and the, the Jews are dialoguing about uh, whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. Uh, it starts with the Jews preparing to stone him. Then there's some dialogue. Then they try to arrest him. And I want to end by looking at the last three verses of the chapter and, and, and briefly just have a look at uh, bringing others in. It's interesting, isn't it? I mentioned this before. You see in verse um, 40 to 42 there that it says Jesus goes back to where John the Baptist was doing his ministry. Uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, uh, you see it? As Jesus' public ministry is drawing to a close, um, he goes back to the place where it kind of started with John. Um, John the Baptist is the one who prepared things for the beginning of Jesus's ministry and there's a sublime statement here about John and his ministry. Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. I love this. I love this. Um, John never performed a miracle. That'd be nice to be someone who could perform miracles. Anyone with me on that? Yeah, that'd be good. Maybe some of you have prayed for people and God's done a miracle. Never happened for John. Never happened for John. He, um, he was never in that zone. He was not in the who's who in that sense. But he did something that became the foundation of many miracles. What did he do? He bore witness to Jesus. That's what he did. Now, some of you at this point in time are going, oh, Sondergeld's now going to go down this road about bearing witness to Jesus and that we should be like John the Baptist. And I think there was something very unique about what John the Baptist did, but there's something that we can emulate in that. And you're kind of thinking, oh, this is a, you know, this is a free hit, this one. This is playing T-ball uh, for Peter. And, and, and I could do that, and that, that would be helpful. But I want to throw something at you, which is a bit of a variation on the theme here. Uh, and here it is. John was honest about Jesus. Is, isn't that what it actually means? All that John said about this man was true. So he was honest about Jesus. Um, who he said Jesus was matched up with who Jesus actually was. He didn't stay silent. He didn't tweak things to be acceptable. He bore clean witness to who Jesus was. So when Jesus showed up, he was no different to what John had told them. All right? And, and to be honest with you, um, it's a good thing to do on this point, by the way, being honest. Um, the sign, one of the signs that the pastors of this church have been successful, and I use that word carefully, but one of the signs that the pastors of this church have been successful is that when Jesus comes back, by and large, I think no one's got their theology 100% sorted out, but by and large, when Jesus shows up, you'll go, oh yeah, no, he's just like I thought he was. That, that's what they told us he was like. And, and he doesn't kind of show up and go, oh my goodness, what on earth? I thought he was completely different to that. You know, if we've done our job right, you go, yeah, no, that's, that's about right. 
He said, yeah, that's, that's what they taught me. You know, we want you to see the truth about Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. But we also want you to be honest about Jesus too. With other people. And, and I want to say to you this morning, um, you don't have to do a miracle. <laughs> Miracles are good, but you just don't have to be, you don't have to do a miracle. You can just be honest about Jesus with people around you, with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with the people that you connect with who don't know Jesus. Look at the, look at the outcome. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Who would have thought? Right? This beautiful ministry of John the Baptist, he was just getting it done, just being honest about Jesus. Jesus goes over and shows up, and all these people believe him. What does it tell you? It tells you that witnessing, and I don't mean that in an evangelistic way specifically, I just mean being a witness to the, the truth of who Jesus is, is really important. That's really important, but people need to have a personal encounter with Jesus. And so he had to go over there for people to believe in him, but the work was done, and it was good work that was done by John the Baptist. And I want to say this to you. Now, I mean this from the bottom of my heart is it's a much, much bigger miracle to see someone come to faith than it is to see them a paralysed person walk. Now, we're up for paralysed people walking, right? But we're more up for people coming to faith and coming to Jesus. That is a massive miracle. And do you know what happens as you are honest about Jesus? There are some of Jesus' sheep that will be around that will hear it and respond to it. And they'll hear the shepherd, right? And this is the way that you need to think about it. Uh, be honest about Jesus with other people and there'll be sheep of his who will come to him. That's why we need to be honest about it. You see this um, in spades in um, Acts chapter 18 when uh, Paul was in Corinth one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. See that? Just be honest about Jesus and there'll be sheep out there <laughs> that are going to come in. Does, it, does them being God's sheep mean that your role is not important? Not on your life. It was really important for John the Baptist to do what he was called to do. I mean, that was part of God's plan to do that. And you know that God will look after his sheep, won't he? And make sure they make it.